What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Um, I would usually give all kinds of flowery introductions to this person because he's well-deserving of them. Um, But he has a job to do tonight because he's actually covering uh, the Knicks versus the Lakers in L.A. Of course, I'm talking about Mike Vorkanoff. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you over on the other side of the country? Uh, Colder. Uh, I'm fairly certain. Yes. I'm fairly certain that I'm colder than you are right now. What is the, what's the current temperature in LA? I don't know. It's like 70, uh, 75. I just checked my phone. 75. I'm so happy. You just added those extra five degrees just to (laughs) rub it in my face. Um, so you came out with a story today or actually, sorry, yesterday, I guess it was, um, about, uh, the Knicks new head coach and I took a shot and I was like, you know what? Um, I, I feel like we get one of these stories about anyone having to do with the Knicks. Um, I don't know, a couple times a year and uh, you just wrote one and it, it was the type of thing that I read it and I'm like this, if someone told me that this took, you know, months and months of research, I would, I would believe them. And then I'm like, well, no, that can't be possible because Mike has to cover the team every day and he doesn't have time to go running around and doing months worth of interviews. Um, but the story's here and you wrote it. So um, it's really, really good. And I want to talk to you about it. The first thing I have to ask you is when did you start putting this thing together? Uh Basically, like that week after Mike Miller was named the interim coach, he got, you know, the story ran exactly a month after he got named that position, December 6th. And I'd say I started working on it, uh, you know, whenever that that next like Monday or Tuesday was. Um, So it took like about four weeks basically to come together. Uh, I was originally hoping to run it December 16th after their first road trip uh, with Mike Miller. That obviously I did not hit that deadline to be to be just a little understated because you're a human being and um you sleep presumably yeah unfortunately i sleep it's a <laughs> it's it's not one of my better traits um no but in all seriousness this thing was i mean uh, look it, it was comprehensive and I, i'm just you know before i ask you some questions about mike miller himself um which really if, in lieu of listening to this if you're listening to it go <laughs> just go read the article um how, what was your process like? Did you start with like a short list of people you wanted to interview? Because you wrote in the piece that you spoke to, you know, I guess almost two dozen people. So what, what was your process like putting this thing together? You know, it, it's always difficult to know how many people is the right amount of people to talk to for a story, especially a profile of someone like Mike Miller, who we really don't know that much about. Um, and, I, you know, <laughs> I called 
you know, whatever, like it was like five, six people at first. And I, and I realized I just didn't have a story there. And uh, one of the things that I, I hope I made clear in the story about Mike is that, you know, he has an interesting story to New York. It's improbable in a lot of ways, but he's also kind of like this basketball lifer, this grinder. And it's it's easy to sum up like in a sentence. But if you're trying to write the story about who someone is, you can't just say like, you know, he's a basketball lifer. He's a grinder and story. Right. Like that's boring. Nobody subscribes to the athletic for that. So I really had to call as many people as I could, you know, before driving myself crazy. Um, and, and I had to call as many people as I could before driving myself crazy. And uh, finding out where that threshold was was obviously difficult. But that took me about four weeks. And, I, I, you know, to really make sure I had enough meat there to write a substantive story about Mike. So it, it's funny you say that, because the thing about the basketball lifer, because... You know, I feel like people get this image of of Mike as someone who's kind of, you know, gone under the radar for a very long time and and then kind of got this shot. And and I think that well, that description is is true. And obviously, you you go into a lot of the um, maybe less glamorous stops that he's had along the journey. The other thing that you make uh, or that you say in the article, which is that at one point in time, he was the second youngest head coach in the country out of. I mean, what three three hundred plus you know college basketball programs? Yeah, I I feel like when when you when someone has that kind of designation, those are usually the people who are like, oh, this guy's star is on the rise, right? Like you don't you're not usually the second youngest head coach of the country, and then proceed to spend the next twenty five years essentially, um, like well maybe not twenty five, but you know two decades definitely kind of meandering through these different stops, and then. Uh, uh, circumstances happen where you, you get this this kind of amazing job. Um, how, is there a way to easily explain that? Like how, it it that that to me just like stuck out. Like wait a minute, something doesn't quite add up here. You know, it was so it was interesting. I was, I talked to Jeff Foster, who is uh, probably you know his best player that he's coached while he was a college coach. He had Alfonso McKinney for I think two years at Eastern Illinois, um, and Jeff Foster was on those Southwest Texas. Uh, teams of the late 90s and he like just randomly brought up uh, during our conversation how he like he still lamented um the 1999 southland conference tournament final game he like he didn't into, have a good game or something or he had, yeah he, he got into early foul trouble and i guess southwest texas fell behind and they ultimately lost the game and you know when you're in the southland conference really like no matter how good of a team you are it's a one big conference and you're only getting in if you win the conference tournament um, and he felt like, you know, if they got in, if they could have won that game, if they got into the tournament, they maybe could have made some noise. Maybe they win a game like he became the 21st pick in the draft that year. So they had an NBA player, um, Deontay Mathis, who I also talked to and was in the story, went on to play like a dozen years in Europe. So they had two pros. And he thinks and I, and I think this might be justifiable too. like if they win a game, if Texas Southern, uh, if Texas State upsets someone in the tournament, Maybe Mike Miller is one of those guys, you know, those handful of guys who go from a small school every year to a bigger job and his career goes on another trajectory. And that was something Jeff Foster mentioned, too, was, you know, I wonder where Mike would have been if we had won that conference tournament final and made it to the tournament. And if they won a tournament game or at least played, you know, a really good team close. And I think it's an interesting question because I I feel like a lot of who gets jobs in college basketball when you're making the rise up the ranks, especially from, say, the Southland Conference, is just timing, right? Um, 
and, and Mike maybe was a victim of timing and opportunity in that way. And then when he eventually gets on the staff with David Fizdale, he had timing and opportunity play out in his favor. Yeah, and and before even though you get to that, it's like, <laughs> what are the odds that this guy decide? Like, there's a guy out there who's like, you know what? I'm going to do something not a lot of people are doing anymore. I'm going to run the triangle. And he decided to do that in the 90s. And then, you know, wouldn't you know it, I guess about 20 years later, um, it leads to the job with the Knicks. You also had a line in here and um, it, it was not, I wouldn't say a throwaway line, but it was basically like at some point, you know, I guess now it's about five years ago, six years ago. He like made the affirmative decision. You make it out that he he wanted to try to get into the NBA. And that's how he landed the job with. San Antonio in 2013. Um, is it? I feel like somebody doesn't become an NBA head coach until they, unless they are to a certain extent. Um, I'm going to use the word aspirational. Like they have, you know, more in them that that it's like, okay, great. I, I love teaching, but like, there's got to be something more. Is is there? You know, I guess what I'm asking is, is there more to Miller than maybe meets the eye with this whole like, oh, shucks, not all oh, shucks. That's not the right way to describe him. But you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. You know, and I asked him about it and I didn't quote Mike in the story. I talked to him for a little bit. He wanted no part of talking to the story. <laughs> really, it was just of me course. bugging him. Um, you know, I asked, you know, why did you decide to leave college for the NBA? And his answer was, quote, it was the right time. Making decisions and moving through is the perfect time to do it. Uh, so he didn't really elaborate, but, you know, talking to people who knew him, they, the gist that I got was, you know, part of it was he, he maybe he thought he had reached his, um, his ceiling in college. Uh, part of it was maybe he just wanted something different. Um, I think the economics of being an assistant college basketball coach at say like UC Riverside aren't great. Uh, so I, I think it was all those things coming into one. And then he started working the contacts he had made in his 20 or so years in college basketball. Um, to see where he can land, and he happened to have a have a good guy as a reference. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he, I'm sure he met a lot of people over that over that time frame. And um, San Antonio is obviously not a bad place to uh, to land. And and you also you talked about his time, or you wrote about his time in San Antonio, about he kind of um, really got in the thick of the whole organization. Like he was part like a conduit between you know what they were doing. It seemed like in the the big club, and then you know, the development on the G League team. Uh, I have to imagine that bodes well for him now with kind of what the the Knicks are trying to pull off here. Yeah, you would think so. Like, you know, one of the reasons why they hired him or they were interested at the Austin Spurs um, was because he had, I forget who, who said this to me, but basically the benefit of being a college coach is that you know you're going to get someone for four years. And so your job is to take this kind of, young player and see how you can develop them over a longer period of time, right? Which is not always an NBA concern. And I, I think that's why he appealed to the Spurs. Um, part of the reason that's why he appealed to the Spurs. And I think that's probably what makes him a good developmental coach uh, in his times like Westchester was that he can see the long view uh, with a player and think about how to develop them over a longer period of time, more than just, you know, the next few months or, the, or this season or something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think we're we're kind of already seeing some of the those fruits, uh, you know, bear out now. It, well, which leads me to kind of the the part of this talking about how he's doing with the big club, and he's been there for fourteen games. Um, like you said, just uh, a smidgen over a month now. Um, 
you know, I, I've thought about this a lot, and obviously it's a um, – I don't want to say it's a different Nick team in terms of how they're playing because there's a lot of through lines between how they started the season and now it, it's not like they did a 180, but there is definitely there is definitely something different. Um, do you think that this is like more, you know, it was just a change in the voice in the room? Do you think this is mostly the X's and O's stuff, which, you know, I know, you know, you know, and we can get into. Or do you think that there is just something about what Miller brings to this particular locker room at this particular time with everything that was kind of going on around this organization at the time that that he got this job a month ago? I think I think a large portion of it um, is X's and O's. I think the stylistic changes are clear. You know, offensively, they have more spacing. Um, Julius Randle is being put on different parts of the floor. He's not giving as much carte blanche offensively to do what he wants. Um, you know, it really helps. I think that Alfred Payton came back. I think that's been an underrated part of this. Alfred Payton is, I'm not saying he's a great point guard. I'm not saying he's a long-term starting point guard. Uh, but I am saying that he's really like the only you know, league average NBA offensive point guard on the Knicks. And as much as there's a Frank Nilakina hive out there, I think they can admit that Nilakina offensively is just not there yet. I'm the president of the hive, and I can admit that Frank Nilakina is not quite there yet. So, yes. Right. And so, you know, Alfred Payton adds a different dimension. I think the Knicks have benefited from that. Mike Miller's benefited from that. Um, and I think those things have all come together. You know, you've written extensively about the changes in their defensive makeup since he took over. And part of that is also the schedule that they've had. Like, the schedule has been a lot easier than the first 20, uh, 22 games they had under David Fisdale, which is pretty predictable because those first 30 games for the Knicks were just brutal. The schedule was brutal. Um, it was kind of foreseeable that they would have a really slow start. Maybe not that it would be as bad as it was or that it would cost David Fisdale's job, depending on who you ask, but it was foreseeable that it would be bad. And I, I don't know how much of it is, like, Mike Leader – Mike Miller, the leader, uh, Mike Miller, the voice in the locker room. I think a lot of credit has to be given to players, too. You know, you keep asking what's different, and they really do say, and it's hard to, to separate whether it's, you know, athlete cliche from something they feel, but they say that being able to play together for a long time uh, or a longer period of time has helped. They have nine new people on the team, which is number I think you heard verbatim in the preseason. Yep. Uh, often, although to be fair to the Knicks, I think the average turnover per roster this year in the NBA was six. So they're like 50% above uh, league average. And I think all those things have come together and it's been a positive confluence for them. They're six and eight under Mike Miller at the time we're talking, they're playing the Lakers tonight. So we'll see where that record goes. Um, I, I, I think it's a lot of those things, but I think Mike deserves credit for just kind of making things different on offense, putting more spacing in, like you see more five out plays you see more high pick and rolls with like rj barrett and mitchell robinson and mitchell robinson's played so much better and when he's on his a game the spacing he creates offensively is just dramatic and he wasn't doing that either so it's really everything's come together for the knicks and you know they, they've they've benefited from it do you uh, there's a, a, a schwinn at posting and toasting i think maybe i'm sure he wasn't the first person to pose this theory but he he uh, has offered it several times that the powers that be in the team's brass um, kind of maybe knew that Fisdale was not the one um, to guide this team once they did not get the big names and 
the the promotion of Miller to the bench. Um, I think they made that move in August, so obviously after free agency, but before like training camp or any of that. Um, that maybe they felt like this was something that they were going to have to turn to. Do you buy that? Uh, I'm not sure I do, but I ju- I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it. Uh, I don't have any reporting to, to substantiate that. I mean, I think part of Mike Miller going to the bench was just they had an open spot and he was deserving, right? Like he was a good G League coach. So it'd be natural that they want to have this, um, you know, vertical integration between their, their G League team and their NBA team that they would promote the head coach over to the NBA staff. Um, I, I think that was probably the leading driver of that. I don't think it was kind of foreseeing what was going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have any reporting to, to that effect. I'm not here to, I guess, like postulate. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I was more just curious if, if you had an opinion. But no, I think that I think you, you phrased it well. Moving forward um, with this team, uh, then I'll get you out of here. I... Let me start with this. Do you think that there is, I, I don't even know what, what realistic would be in this scenario, but like I was going to say, do you think that there is a realistic scenario in which Mike Miller is the coach of this team beyond this year? Man, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> no, I love it. That, I just, sure. There's just so many variables. Like one, how they play for the rest of the year, right? Um, their schedule will get harder at some point in time and we'll see if they can uh, – keep playing the way that they have. We don't know what the team's going to look like after the trade deadline. Yeah. That's a big variable in all this. We don't know who's going to be making the hire or the decision to keep or not keep a coach in April or May, right? Like that's really the big unknown here. Um, and just without that final piece, it's just, I think impossible to say otherwise. Uh, ultimately like James Dolan will have that final decision, right? He's the owner. Um, and I think we've seen in the past, like if he can act, uh, you know, uh, impetuously at times. And so I don't know. I can't answer that question. There's so many wild cards out there. I think it's just kind of impossible to answer at the time. Yeah. And it's like the thing that I wonder about, and we, you know, we've talked about this privately is like the idea of, you know, what, what they are or are not able to do developmental wise with, again, you know, we'll just say his name, a guy like Kevin Knox, who, you know, you, you pointed out, I pointed out, played six minutes the other day. Um, if they're winning and maybe, you know, a guy like Knox or even, you know, Dotson um, hasn't played in two straight games like these types of players are not are not getting the time or maybe not progressing as much, but they're winning more games. Like, do you have any sense of how he forget about who's making the decision on him for three months from now or four months from now? Do you have any sense of how he's being judged right now? Is it purely on wins and losses in your opinion, or is is there more that's going into that? I, I think the Knicks are evaluating him the way that they had the team even before he was hired, right? They wanted to see improvement. Um, I think that that's a loaded word. And it's a word without definition. Um, but they just want to see the team get better. I think they, they just want to get to a spot this season where they saw credible improvement from last year and the beginnings of a culture – being built again a lot of those things are ambiguous so it's kind of like a you know you know when you see it type of thing uh and i think mike miller's tenure will be judged in that same way is like did the knicks get better did they put into place what they hope to get into place this year that's guys developing that's guys earning playing time that's having uh, a culture in place where playing time is earned and um based off of you know production and hard work and all those things and I think that will probably go into 
his evaluation as much as just straight wins and losses because I don't I don't think that like expecting a playoff seed was reality for the Knicks uh, internally or externally. I think they were probably thinking like somewhere around 30 wins or so at least um, would be the sign of improvement. And I think that'll count for Mike Miller as much as it as much as it did for David Fizdale when he started the season. Um, I, I think that's well said. Uh, last one. Uh, I meant to ask it before, but I'll ask it now. Uh, he's referred to as the people's coach by some within the organization. I read that. And I'm like, that's awesome. I don't know. Can you shed any light on that whatsoever? Yeah, I think it's just because he's a low key guy. Uh, you know, I don't think that like he is, he's changed much since he became the head coach. I think from what I understand, he might still have an affinity for like a Chili's or something like that. And so, uh, you know, when he goes out to eat, it's not like he's going to the five star steakhouse every night in whatever cities they're, city they're in. I think that's why they, they give him the nickname. He's just like the same guy he has been basically uh, his entire life. And I think that's why they kind of call him the people's coaches. Just, uh, you know, new job, same personality, same affinity for whatever fast food chain he's uh, been eating at his entire life. Um, he who has not had uh, Bloomin' Onion. Uh, oh, no, that's Outback. Sorry. Is it what they have? I, so- I, should, I should confirm what the fast food restaurant is. I need to do that. That's my fault in reporting. Hey, well, hey, listen, I got a whole. This is this is me holding the, the, the terrible, awful New York media's feet uh, to the fire. I, look, I told you he loves Mountain Dew. Is that not enough for you? Is that not enough? It should be. It's, but I always want more. Listen, we always want more. Um, that's it's Nick fans for you. Um, Mike, you've, you've done this entire, uh, interview from your hotel. I should ask you, have you checked out of the hotel or are you waiting to check out of the hotel? No, oh, I four, four o'clock checkout. They, they wouldn't give me until like four 30. So I have, uh, I, I have checked out. I'm just sitting here watching NBA TV and the Rutgers basketball game on my phone and just, you know, wait until the game starts. Um, that's lovely. And uh, wait, hold on one more. You didn't answer my question before. Have you gotten something notable to eat in LA? Like any fancy LA meals to tell, or even like dives or something that's been good food, anything like that? I don't go fancy on the road. I go good food. I got some good tacos two two nights here. Like that's my spot. That's what I'm here for. It's just great. Like food spots that aren't that expensive. I went to Sonora town in downtown LA. Ooh. Uh, I, yeah. I went to, uh, Cusado's. Last night, I think, you know, got some good uh, matzo ball soup this afternoon in Beverly Hills after Nick's shoot-around. I'm not here for those big, fancy, like, $3 sign dinners. That's not me. So you're, you're not tagging along with Mark Berman for the uh, for the four-figure checks, and that's not that's not your scene? Yeah, I like to think I eat the best on the Nick's beat, but not the most expensive. <laughs> that's, I love, that's that's why you're you're who you are, Mike. You're, you're a man of the people. Um, listen, if you are... This is now, I think, the fourth or fifth time, whatever you've been on. If you're listening to this and you're a fan of this podcast and you even remotely like this podcast and you're not somehow not subscribed to The Athletic, um, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, seriously, I I mean, I'll just say it. You're the only Knicks person that I, I literally read every word that you write because I just not because I care one way or the other about you. No offense. Um, but you're good. Uh, you're that good. And you always tell me something that I didn't know before. So. Um, go subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, they have other writers uh, besides Mike, I hear, um, who are also good. Supposedly, yeah. Supp- uh, listen, I actually no, have... Our NBA coverage is ridiculously good. I have on my tab, right next to yours, actually, Anthony Slater's piece today on um, the Warriors cutting Marquise Chris, because I've been getting asked some questions from Nick fans about if they should pick up Marquise Chris. So I'm going to go ahead and give that a read as well. 
Um, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate this. Thanks, man. And I just want to say, you know, subscribe to The Athletic. That's what I'm here for. Uh, you know, if you go, you check out like that Mike Miller store. You don't have a subscription yet. You get a free trial. You can do it for 40% off if you click on that uh, button on the page. I think the money's well worth it. Our NBA coverage is ridiculously good. And then you have like every other professional sports team in North America under our umbrella as well in soccer, too. It's the price of, of per month, I think, of like a latte. Um, I, I mean, I think the forty percent off. I literally just checked our site. It says buy today, save an extra forty percent, and it's two ninety nine a month. I mean, like, okay, come on. So it's not even a latte. It's just a regular cup of coffee. Yeah, it's like a Dunkin' Donuts large. <laughs> um, yes, which of course you're not having any of that because it, you're having the classy stuff out in LA, where I'm sure they have much much better coffee out there. That's what I imagine, at least. So just uh, yeah, I'm right now. I'm drinking something called uh, Starbucks. <laughs> well, that is better than Dunkin' Donuts. Do they have that? No, no, I love Dunkin' Donuts. You're putting Listen, Dunkin' above Starbucks. I... Here's here's my controversial take. Um, my controversial opinion. I hate the word take, so I just said it. That's embarrassing. Here's my controversial opinion. First of all, best chain coffee is Caribou Coffee. I agree. I, I love Caribou uh, Coffee. Second of all, Dunkin' Donuts is better than Starbucks, and you can't get me to change that. I. I'm gonna have to wrestle with that one for a bit because I I, Think about I, it. I no I get where if if I'm just ordering a standard coffee I I could get with you but like if I'm getting something a little bit fancier which I I mean I I do get fancy sometimes um I, I don't know I just kind of prefer the Starbucks I'm gonna think about this one um okay some more ponder it think it over exactly maybe I'll even I'll write a piece uh an opinion piece for for next film school newsletter for it all right um Mike uh. Go do your actual job. Uh, thank you again for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Anytime. Awesome. Uh, and everybody out there, thanks for listening to an episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. We'll be back with you with another episode coming at you for Friday morning. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah.